welcome to season two of Comics Deserve Better. Yeah. Well, where we or one of our hosts is currently celebrating the 17th championship of the Los Angeles Lakers. But no, this isn't a sports podcast. No, on this podcast, we talk about the best and occasionally not the best uh, non licensed independent comics. We run the gamut from web comics to image and beyond. We've, we've honestly covered basically almost every major publisher, either in our main course or in our quick hits. So there's, I like this show, is, there's something for everyone in the show for sure. So yeah, so this is our, se- our second season. Um, we're gonna keep the numbering because uh, big numbers are good in podcasts, but bad in comics. So we're just gonna kind of meet in the middle for that. I know, it's just super nerdy, I don't care. Um, it's not a so yeah, today we're just gonna, we're gonna do our, we have a different segments. We have quick hits, which are our favorite comics this past week. And then we have looking forward, which is, you know, it's kind of self-explanatory. It's what we're looking forward to in the future, either next week or even further in the future. And then this week, we're going to switch things up a little bit. And we are going to be interviewing writer artist Zoe Thorogood and talking about her amazing graphic novel from Avery Hill, The Impending Blindness of Billy Scott. So the interview will be right after the quick hit segment. So you definitely want to stay for that. Really excited. First interview on the show. Um, one of our co-hosts is getting up at the ass crack of dawn to do the interview this. <laughs> so, cause of the West coast UK stuff. So uh, you should definitely stay, stay on for that. It'll be great. I suffer from my art. All right. And so, yeah, so we're just going to lead off with a quick hit. So Brian, what is your quick hit for this week? Uh, my quick hit is um, Bang number four uh, by uh, Matt Kint and uh, Wilfredo Torres with uh, letterer Nate Piecos and colorist Neon Kim. Um, it's a uh, dark horse. Uh, we spoke about Bang before. I, Logan, I think maybe first first episode um, had brought it, brought it up. Uh, it's kind of a, a a story about like mostly pop pop fiction characters or character types all joining together to save the world and um and they're being led by a by like a pulp writer um and issue four had basically what i was calling um literary catnip for me which is a um an elderly woman detective which you know i'm a big jessica fletcher fan or miss marple fan so if it has a an old uh old person detective i'm i'm game so and this person uses a, a fake accent um and as well as a cane to disarm the people that they're um that they're interrogating to make them think that they're that they're less of, of an intelligent rival than they really are. So it's, it was a lot of fun. Um, there's also a cool flashback where um, the, the main character uh, in, in her youth was the, the kind of like the 60s super spy Emma Peel type character. So instead of using her intelligence as, as a disarming factor, she used her femininity and her, her youth as, as a disarming part so it's kind of cool how this character you know changes you know through through her ages and to to still get what they want and 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 do what they want essentially from you know using using all their strengths so it's well great color great story it's finally this is the penultimate book of the um the first volume oh and it's finally 
it's finally kind of coming together. Like the, at end of this issue, all the characters from the previous four issues are all together now. Nice. And um, so it looks like issue five is going to be kind of the, the, the first issue where they go into action, which is funny because that's the last issue of the first volume. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it's cool. I didn't, um, I've read the first two issues of Bang and I didn't expect for them to go down. I, I just thought I was expecting typical um, action hero archetypes. I wasn't expecting uh, Murder, She Wrote to show up in it. And it's <laughs> cool. I love it. it. It sounds like it's a kind of meta con- commentary on the uh, the acting career of the late, great um, Dame Diane Rigg. So yeah, it's yeah. so cool. Um, Absolutely. You know. Yeah. Yeah, Bang is great. I need to catch up on it for sure. Guilty. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, Darcy, what was your quick hit this week? Well, I always break the rules with quick hit. I never go last week. I just go old. Uh, So I'm doing the Citric arc from JWC, which is uh, self-published through Comixology Submit. Um, And is, uh, I don't actually remember how old it is, but it is older. I think it's like 2015. It's a story of kind of two sisters and how they grow up together and it kind of came to me through comiXology advertising I was push advertised and totally bought into it so way to go comiXology on that (laughs) Uh, if you like sort of uh, uh, Regina Tellmenger's sisters this is 100% for you it is maybe not if you're 10 but if you're a little bit older and a fan of that story this is definitely for you Uh, they're kind of, they don't like each other very much, these two sisters, uh, and they kind of have to live together. And it's this really fantastic story about how kind of you have to be family anyway. The difference, I think, would be that it definitely appeals to an older audience because you go through their lives a little bit further, what really got me with this is the ability that the creator had to change her art style. Um, every chapter is a different age and every age is a really distinct, you can tell it's the same creator, but it's a really kind of distinct art style. I, it's probably, I, I don't really know, but it's probably all digitally done, but it seems like it's a different medium. But the only thing that really carries through is this color. Uh, they're all, every kid in the family is a redhead. So there's this really powerful kind of orange red that carries through no matter what the chapter is. And so it's really beautiful to look through, even if the chapter is very sad. There's kind of a chapter in the middle that is, as I love them to be, uh, wordless. And most of it's black and white and gray but then you've got this beautiful orange that carries through and the the characters do dislike each other at times as family sometimes does there's still that sweetness that sometimes because they are sisters and it's hard to you know your sisters you still love each other despite and so you get older but there's in between chapters this hearkening back to when they're children. I, I don't have a sister, so it's kind of, I, I don't want to say aspirational because I'm not going to get a little sister at 
you know, 35, but there was kind of this almost nostalgic longing for me while I was reading it. Oh, you know, wouldn't it have been nice, which I feel terrible about because I have a little brother who I love, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I just felt really great reading it, even though it, they weren't necessarily incredibly likable characters <laughs> all of the time because they were kind of mean to each other and they didn't really like each other all the time but I found it very enjoyable and very interesting and kind of different and so I would definitely recommend this book yeah it sounds, that sounds really awesome man I wish it got him more hype and so what's the what's the title of the book again the citric arc okay. like citric acid okay it, that's what you know they're all they're all redheads <laughs> oh I like nice. no I like it I was gonna say love some good uh, gender representation in comics <laughs> apparently i love gender representation in comics there's a lot like a redhead what can i say it, it works it's, well it's what with you know comics. it's what stan lee said really early on that red it pops it looks good mm -hmm. so oh, definitely yeah yeah there's uh, there's definitely i think more redheads in comics than any other in any other entertainment medium so someone needs to write like their dissertation on that not me. I think someone has. I've read a paper on it. Yeah. How it there's the statistical whatever between not like a really good. I've read an article on it. I don't know that I've read oh, a okay. dissertation, but yeah. I've definitely read articles about yeah, it. Yeah, I think I've read articles about it too. I think Brett, yeah. how how they're how they're like ten percent. How they how you you are one Logan. Uh, how your ten percent? It is ten percent, right? No, in I think the real it's world. Lower. It's like. I think it's lower now. It is definitely lower. It's very cause, low. Because because I think yeah. here's what I, I, I did the math once. I, like I'm bisexual and a redhead, so I'm like something like 025 percent of the population. I'm like literally, right. I'm literally redhead. bisexual male yeah. redhead. I'm literally like a year old person. Like, <laughs> well, two percent, two percent of the world's population. Be proud of uh, the hair color you have because you could be like Ireland. Hair. Well, I'm not going to have it's, hair. In it's it's 10% in Ireland, which yeah. might be what I was going for. 2% uh, of the world's population. Right. Ireland, which makes Scotland. sense. Ireland, Scotland really skews the numbers. Plus, um, Definitely. That's, my, that's my, my heritage. So, yeah. yeah. Right. But yeah, no, how, how it's a very narrow population in our world, in the real world, but in certain comic worlds, it's a higher population, like it's a more powerful gene. Right. And, it, and it's not just, it's not just superhero books. It's like romance comics, Archie. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, same, same with the uh, yellow blondes in comics too. That's, that happens all the time in comics, but. It pops. Cool? I, I or white women, white women with black hair. It pops. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I did not foresee this episode turning into a discussion of hair colors in comics, but I love it so much. <laughs> so wow. Thomas Mandel and uh, no, just, okay, <laughs> I love this so much. Um, which is kind of sad. however. They're, they get the love in Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> Very true. Literally, wow. Where are the blondes in Star Wars? Okay, wow. They're probably, probably, uh, they're probably Luke, under Stormtrooper Luke. helmets. Luke since, episode one. Yeah, blonde, that's true too. Blonde women. Yeah. Blonde women. Nowhere. Well, the Empire is an analog Nowhere? for Nazis, so it's probably somewhere in the Empire. Oh, yeah. True. 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 Okay. Yeah, well, what's her name? Mary Jade Skywalker was, was a ginger. So a redhead. I always liked her because she was a redhead. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Okay, well, we did. This is the <laughs> rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs>
So yeah, so that was our first tangent for uh, season two. Yeah, my my quick hit um, for this week has nothing to do with the Star Wars franchise or even the science fiction genre at all. Is um, getting it together number one by uh, Cena Grace and Omer Spahi are the writers. Uh, the artist is Jenny D. Fine and M. X. Struble. Um, you may be familiar with their work from uh, they were the writer and colorist on Little Depressed Boy, which is one of my like go-to like indie comics. Um, Struble worked on it with, with Cena Grace. So it's a little, little little Depressed Boy reunion. And we actually, in total fan service move, one of the characters has a Little Depressed Boy shirt on page one. And I knew like, okay, I'm gonna like this comic. But this book is a lot different than Little Depressed Boy. Um, it's a lot more, I guess, grown up. Um, it's about uh, two siblings, or no, no, it's not two siblings. It's about, um, a couple who share a best friend and they're going through a crazy breakup, like one of those like dramatic ass breakups that involves sleeping with rock stars, open relationships and tons and tons of drama. So like, <laughs> it's just like seeing a great grace and spot. He pour on the drama from page one. Um, but also like, I like how they, um, and then the, the, the friend, he, the friend is gay and he's also, he's also dating and stuff too. And he, he runs into this like, garbage terrible guy and there's lots of those running out if, if you're in the if you're in the queer community those are, there's guys like running around and they usually have reputations so that was really it was really it was really relatable and then jenny d fine's art is is really beautiful um she is very expressive because this is mostly like talking heads for the most part so she has to get the facial expressions right and she gets it right there are some more a little more high energy scenes like there's a there's a sex scene gay sex scene and there's like a rooftop uh kind of concert so there's a little more energy a little more rock and roll struble gets to flex their uh colors a bit this is really awesome because I, I like it a lot because it really fills a void in um monthly comics like there aren't monthly comic like i can go on hbo and watch a show like this but i can't get a monthly comic like this and uh the whole team the whole crew plugs this void of a story that i want in the comics medium because there's good slice of like comics as, you know, graphic novels, but not as as monthly floppies. So I'm really respect to um, Grace, Spahi, Struble, find the whole team for uh, putting this together. I'm really sad it's a miniseries, but you know, like most great shows, you know, and it, or it could be, you know, it could be like Ghost in LA, it could be extended. But I'm just, I'm just, just kudos to them for doing this this kind of story when, sadly, there doesn't really seem to be a market for it. But I want there to be a market for it. So definitely check out Getting It Together, number one. And there's also a, and if you're, you know, if you're into these HBO dramedies, there's a Sex in the City homage variant cover from Kevin Wada. So yeah, um, I got, I got, a, I got an advanced copy of this book, but I like kind of want to track down the Kevin Wada cover because he's just, he's incredible cover artist. He is incredible. And who, relationship, exciting, entertaining, drama stuff is fun i don't know there should definitely be a bigger market for it i don't think it's pushed hard enough i don't think that market is 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 marketed to by the comics industry enough i think it's out there i think people just need to push to it more i think it's there for sure yeah definitely think, it's, yeah. Oh. oh go ahead i was just gonna say it's one of the cornerstones of comics i mean it should definitely be 
you know, there should definitely be more books like this. And I mean, look at Archie and stuff like that. I mean, it's been around for, for years. And um, I, I actually read this too, and I, I enjoyed it. And I definitely um, can, can back what Logan had said because it was a lot of fun. And it was a good replacement for Ghost in LA, which I'm missing right now. So it's, oh. it was a fun book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cena Grace, he's he's good. He's really good at these kind of stories. You may know him from his work on Iceman, but I, I knew like when I think of Cena Grace, I think of Little Depre- which which he did the art for Little Depressed Boy. Um, Struble did the writing. I think of stuff like Little Depressed Boy, and I think of his um, his uh, he does really good memoir comics. Not my bag is a really good one about him um, working at a high end department store um, while he's trying to break into comics, and then. Self-Obsessed is really good. They actually made it into a web series. I think there were some actors from like Buffy the Vampire Slayer in it. And then um, his most recent one, Nothing Lasts Forever. So and it, he's kind of bringing that same vibe, but creating characters and creating the world, um, which he did a really good job of in his more genre books, like Ghost in LA and, you know, I, fuck it, Iceman. Iceman was great. It got no support from the Marvel brass, but it was a great book. Yeah, I mean, my, uh, yeah, yeah. Also, uh, Cena Grace is a great uh, Instagram follow. He's he's a lot of fun. He is a lot of he's a lot of fun. He, that's kudos. Yeah, follow him on Instagram. He's fun. <laughs> cool. All right, and welcome to our main uh, course. And it's it's a little different from our previous episodes. We're actually going to be interviewing um, writer artist Zoe Thorogood about her. Um, new uh, graphic novel, The Impending Blindness of Billy Scott. And I'm just gonna read the synopsis off the back of the PDF that I have. And it is, um, Billy Scott is an artist. Her debut gallery exhibition opens in a few months. Within the fortnight, she'll be completely blind. As Billy struggles to deal with her impending blindness, she sets up on a journey from Middlesbrough to London into a world of post-austerity Britain and the problems facing those left behind. Her goal is to find 10 people to paint for her exhibition as well as the inspiration to continue with her art and the strength to move on with her life. Um, so welcome, welcome Zoe, hi. Hello, <laughs> thank you for having me. Yeah, um, so uh, t- tell, our, uh, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. How did you get into comics and um, how did you um, initially come up with the idea for the impending blindness of Billy Scott? Okay, basic, uh, getting into comics. I originally was working in concept art for games, um, games and stuff. Um, and I had, oh, somebody asked me, I was drawing some concept art for some work I was doing and they were like, Zoe, it seems that you enjoy drawing more than you enjoy designing. Like, have you, you know, thought about doing comics? And I've loved comics for forever. Like I was reading like the Pokemon manga as a kid. Like that's one of the first things that got me started on it. And I was like, yeah, but like people don't do comics. Like that's not a thing that you can do like as a job. <laughs> like I was very like convinced that that wasn't like a, a valid career route, I guess. I, d- I don't know why I thought that when there's like, I clearly read comics and there are clearly people making them, but it's never something that really crossed my mind. Um, and then I started, you know, really looking into it and developing pictures and stuff. And eventually, eventually one got picked up. But yeah, the, what happened with Billy, um, the idea for it, came from a trip to the the opticians like I've had eye problems for for ages like since I was since I was about four uh, I've had eye issues and uh, it's slowly been deteriorating as I get older which isn't great but it's manageable but on one trip to the to the opticians 
they asked me like, you know, is there anything, anything that you need to bring up? And I said, well, I, I've been seeing these weird like black dots in my vision, like these weird swarms. And um, she was basically, she basically told me that, that that was a sign that my retina were tearing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, which was quite scary. And she said that if that develops into these white flashes, then, then I'm probably going blind and I should go to any immediately, but it can be fixed. So I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. Cause apparently it's very like, they can fix it with surgery as long as you catch it early enough. So, you know, whatever it, it's, is what it is. Um, but then, you know, when I got home, I was like, man, like I'm an artist, like I need my eyes. So I was kind of frantically thinking about like, what would happen if I went blind and what good story that would make. <laughs> so that's where like, that's where Billy came from. It's, uh, it's so cool. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Uh, I think uh, both Logan and I have had eye problems as well. So we can definitely relate. And that, I think that was one of the enduring parts of, of this, of this comic. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Um, so yeah. So my, the relationship between Billy and Rachel is probably my favorite part of the book. Um, I, I really latched onto it a lot. And, so how did you, you shape that relationship through the writing and drawing process? Um, well, the thing was, when I came up with the story, I had this really base idea of artist goes blind and I had nothing more than that. Slowly, the character of Billy started appearing and I was like doing a bunch of doodles and stuff. And, um, but then I, felt I wanted to make like a, like a counter to her, like someone who was also highly creative, but who was you know, very extroverted and very positive and approached her craft in a completely different way and was, you know, super stubborn, like not like the, the perfect opposite of Billy, but, but, you know, a good, a character that could really connect with her and show her that, you know, maybe she isn't approaching things in the best way all the time. But that's how Rachel was spawned. <laughs> but she, she came together pretty, um, pretty fast as well. I, I think I did like one doodle of her and I was like, yeah, that's her. <laughs> like, yeah. So you, you already in this interview you mentioned doodling a lot. Is that is is do you do you sketch out um all the characters in your comic before you um go and do sequentials or is that part of your process? Yeah, well I mean my background in concept art, I love concept art, I love character design. I think they're so I'm very passionate about, you know, narrative character designs, not just designing characters so they look cool, but so they actually tell a story with what they wear and, you know, how they do their hair and stuff. Like that's really interesting to me. So yeah, I always, um, I always doodle, doodle character designs before I draw the main comic. Um, but they're usually like really, I, I don't tend to post them because they are terrible drawings. Like it's terrible art, but um, very helpful for, for, you know, designing and kind of getting a feel for a character. So you were talking about um, about Billy being being introverted, and obviously um, that that's a big part of of her character. Um, and I was uh, I'm, I'm having her essentially like live on the street in public places while gathering inspiration was was a very bold decision that pays off for both Billy and the story. And um, is Billy's method of inspiration similar to your own when coming up with the story? Or if it isn't, uh, like, what, what it, uh, had inspired you to have come up with this, this uh, method of creation? Um, well, I th Billy's kind of decision to, you know, do this, take drastic measures and, you know, go live on the streets and, and that kind of thing was very, like, I felt if that happened to me and I was going blind, I would want to do one, like, last big thing 
to make something that I felt truly mattered. And I think like I'm a very introverted person, not to the extent that Billy is, but there's definitely um, definitely a lot of like shyness and awkwardness um, from me in, in Billy. But um, yeah, I, I wanted to show that she was, you know, super determined. This was a massive part of like, sh she needed to go out of her comfort zone and really prove, like prove herself, I guess. Um, and I think that there was a lot of, when I was pitching Billy, I had already made a lot of failed pitches. Um, I think I pitched about five projects before Billy and uh, they'd all been rejected. Um, and it was getting to the point with Billy where I was like, oh, I really need to stop. Cause like, obviously when you're putting a pitch together, there's no money in that. Like you just have to have to do it and throw it out in the void and hope for the best. And it was getting to the point where I was thinking like, I really need this one to go through. Otherwise I, I need to, I need to stop, but I need to find something else to be doing with my time. Um, and so I think there was a little bit of like, and like a lot of the, um, the conversation at the start when uh, Billy, like in her internal monologue, she's wondering whether this gallery is going to accept her work or not. And it's all in the power of this, you know, big man and his yes. That was, that was definitely uh, me projecting and, and still hoping that the pitch was going to go through. Because I, I wrote that before I, before I um, set the pitch off. So I was kind of like, oh, please, please say yes. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot of, um, a lot of me and my own journey in it, but it's very, you know, not like on the surface, I guess, but under, underneath the surface. Yeah, like the underlying themes. And and yeah, and this this book, like, I mean, from from your writing style, there's lots of great underlying themes of of creativity and just the power of art. Um, so like were you were you I mean it's it, you made a big statement in this first book. Were you were you a little were you scared to make, you know, this big swing or um in your first first ever graphic novel or um a little bit, but I think, right. <laughs> And this is where I feel I get a little bit like a bit, little bit profound and a little bit annoying. Um, art to me is very important and it's always been very important to me. Um, I don't know if you've read, I did a self-published um, short story called Angel that I put online. I think that explains, it's an autobiographical one. It explains a lot of my feelings towards art and why it's important to me. But um, like I was very heavily discouraged from doing art in school and um that's why my the book is dedicated to my art teacher um who did not want me to be doing art at all and you know i went to a pretty academic academic school and so art was you know not what you were supposed to be doing um but i think it is so important and it's like all the stuff that i don't know if you've been saying about all the um <laughs> the uk at the moment we're having a bit of a save the arts yeah oh yeah thing. like the theaters and stuff yeah, yeah. Like they're putting out ads, like the whole like the ballerina that should be in cybersecurity and stuff. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely shocking. And um, I think that if if more people did art, especially like I'm thinking like more like older middle aged people, if they started doing art, and you know we kind of recoup the creativity that we lost as kids uh, that was discouraged out of us, like people would be so much happier. I think. I think as human beings, like we need to be creative. And I think it's so important to us. It's just integral to us. Like we've all, you know, throughout history, humans have always made art. But for, at the moment, I mean, I don't know how it's like in other countries, but in the UK, art seems to be more and more discouraged. And like, especially in schools, like it was, you know, like me doing art, like it almost felt a bit rebellious at the school I was at. And so it was important. It was important to me to try and 
put in an actual message. Like I, I feel like putting that message at the end, like it definitely wasn't Billy talking. It was me, more, more me talking. And part of me hates that because I'm like, eh, it's kind of, it's kind of cheesy and it's kind of like, it's kind of stupid. But at the same time, I was like, I have to, I have to do that. And um, I had some good responses from it. People saying like, I feel really inspired now. So I, I think it paid off. Great. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to be cheesy, but uh, I just, I reread it a little bit before, before we went on air and I'm and it little, little, little tear, little tear. <laughs> yes. oh, yeah. It's a, it's a fantastic ending. It's and, and, I mean, art as a rebellion is, is you know, that's also a very much a, a theme um, through, throughout history. And, and it's really, you know, your story itself encapsulates it. And it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. And as well as you can kind of see in the book is, as well. Thank you. That, that's, that's really good to hear. So speaking of rebellion, um, we're gonna go, I'm going to go back to Rachel, my favorite character. Um, why, how did you, um, how did you come up with a decision to make her a folk punk singer? And what, uh, I don't know, did you listen to any folk punk music while you were making the book or what kind of playlist did you have? I did. <laughs> I, um, when I was younger, I got really into folk punk when I was about 17, 18. And uh, it was, I remember when I first discovered it, I was like, what is this crap? This is awful. <laughs> like, <laughs> I hated it initially. Um, but then I got really into it because it just seemed to be these just incredibly average, normal people who were not the most musically gifted, but were just so passionate about art and saying what they wanted to say. And, you know, often saying stuff that I think mainstream music doesn't dare to touch. Um, and I think that that really interested me. So putting that into Rachel was definitely, you know, again, it comes from me. Like, I feel like a lot of the characters in Billy are just my different parts of my personality kind of ripped apart into different characters. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I really like that genre of music. I got to say that I don't listen to it much anymore. Um, but it, it, at a time in my life when I was struggling a lot, it, it was really helpful because it was, it was nice to connect to people and, you know, who were saying stuff that was maybe a little too honest and most people wouldn't dare say out loud. So I don't know. I, yeah, that's where that came from. Yeah, it's awesome, uh, for sure. The mantra that Rachel has before she starts singing the the um, the My Name is Rachel list and this is why you should care, you know, it really really says that. It's pretty cool. I was proud of that line. <laughs> yeah, it's very nice. So yeah, so one thing I really liked about this book um, is I love the the color palette you use, the the minimalist use of color and the pinks. And I was wondering, um, why did you why did you shift from from the pinks? For the, the book to the blues and yellows during the big romance scene. Um, the the answer to that question is probably not as deep as it as you'd like it to be. But um, when I the the original cover for Billy was yellow and purple, um, which then my editor suggested we change to like a brighter color for it to stand out. And I'm really glad we did now. But um, originally the whole book was going to be those oranges and purples. Um, so the, the, the final romance scene at the end, that, they were my pitch pages. Um, so they were drawn first. Um, <laughs> so they were purple and, and yellow because that's just the, color, the original color scheme that the, book, the whole book was going to be in. Um, and then I, I kind of went back and uh, decided which scenes would be which color. And I tried to like associate each color palette with like a different either tone or place. 
and so the 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 yellow and purple became kind of like the softer the softer scenes um, yeah, and our uh, our co-host who wasn't able to make it today, Darcy, she she loves like this use of pink in comic. I think she has some like theory about it being used in a lot of young adult comics. And oh, really? So I was wondering kind of your uh, your uh, thinking behind using using pink for a lot of the scenes. Um, that's that's a question from mine, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get the worst answer and just say pink is my favorite color. Hello. <laughs> oh, no. I, um, I mean, That's the best answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I originally wanted the cover to be pink, but then I was like, uh, I don't want to like color code it as like people are gonna be like, oh, it's a girl's book, which mm -hmm. it's not. And I don't think you know, I don't believe that pink is a girl's color, but I didn't want it to have any kind of coding. But um, yeah, I think when I was because I was coloring the first page, oh, basically what happened was I had two weeks before deadline, and none of the pages were colored or lettered. And so it was like a, oh God, I have to color 168 pages in 14 days. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> and so the decision with the coloring was very much, how do I do this quickly, but in a way that's going to convey some kind of emotion. And when I was messing around with the first page, just, just, just the soft pink just seemed to work. It just... I was like messing around with many colors. Like first I tried blue cause I was like, eh, it could just be like a, you know, a normal nice day, <laughs> but that just seemed really boring. And the pink just, I don't know, it looks nice. My brain looks at it and goes, yes, I like that color. <laughs> so, so you, I, I mean, with the colors and as well as, as like the settings of the story, I mean, you definitely find the beauty in places that would normally be very, like shady and desolate, like like you know, like a garbage like dump in in, in alleyways and stuff. So, was there was there actual like places that inspired you to to um, to use these these places in the comic? Yes, definitely. A lot of the the places and backgrounds are from real life. Um, I went to uni in Middlesbrough, where a lot of the stories set, like especially at the start. But also, I did use a lot of places in Middlesbrough for the scenes in London. Um, <laughs> so there's like some of the places you could go to in real life, some of them are really weird mashups. Um, but yeah, I Middlesbrough is a very weird place and it, it, it's it's on the list of most deprived places in the UK and it's, uh, it's an interesting place. But the, what inspired me so much to use it as a backdrop was that it's a place that does have a bit of a bad rep and walking around it you can see like there's a whole area there's a whole row of houses where they're just all the houses are burnt down and they've just been like that for years and that's just how it is um but within that there's so many people like so many of my friends are from Middlesbrough and there's just there's so many just different and creative and unique people in that place I just it even though the surroundings are kind of ugly and like to an outsider you would think man this place is horrible it was just, you know, filled with so many interesting people. Not all of them good, you know, <laughs> but it was, it was, you know, it's a place and it was very inspiring. So and I think there's a, there's a lot of that in the book, kind of like ugly places and people that you would expect to not be the most pleasant and kind of surprising you. I think that was, that was what I wanted to put into it. Definitely see the love that's placed in, in the backgrounds and yeah. in the settings. Mm. It's very nice. Um, yeah, speaking of settings, so I, I really kind of latched on to Third Chance as a setting, and it, and as you mentioned earlier, yeah, just a great 
cast of quirky um, characters. And, you know, maybe one, one is not so, so nice, but <laughs> um, so did you, did you go to any, any shelters or any like soup kitchens and, and do research or is that um, have any experiences with that? Uh, well, no, I was wanting to, but then COVID happened. Um, <laughs> oh no. Um, See, so, cause yeah, I, the, I made the book really fast. So I only, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I technically I started working it in December, but um, the real bulk of it started happening in, in March, April, but I've always been interested. And I think this is where like the folk punk thing comes in as well, is that a lot of folk punk is about poverty and injustice. And from that, when I was a teenager, I started getting, you know, really into that and really I don't know what the, 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 the correct terms are because I, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a touchy subject, but I, you know, started getting really passionate about it. And, um, and I think like living in Middlesbrough and meeting some people who were, you know, pretty unfortunate and, and, and not as privileged as me, you do kind of get this sense of like, a lot of these people, it's really not their fault why they're in those situations. Like, obviously some of them, it is. But I think a lot of the people that I met that were in bad situations, it was just chance and just given, you know, a bad hand. And those kinds of people, especially the ones that still remain positive and like chatty, like, and just want to just talk rubbish. Like, I don't know. I love those kinds of people. Like when I was at college, I used to, um, I had an hour to wait for my train every day at college. And so I would go to, there's a shop called Boots where after five, it's like after four o'clock, they put all of their sandwiches down to 10p. So I would buy however many I could with the rest of my lunch money and go and give them to homeless people and chat to them. Because it was just, I was, I, was, awesome. I was that kid. But it's, I've always been intrigued by the misfits of society. And I've always been, I always feel like I've been accepted by outcasts, you know, being like the arty nerdy kid at school. I've always felt more at home with, with with people that are a little bit on the fringe of society, I guess. Yeah, I, I can definitely tell that through uh, through Billy Scott for sure. Yeah. The um and, and you know the the love that you have for the people on the fringe and everything, you know a a lot of of uh, writers and artists would just kind of glorify everybody and the entire aspects of of this of of living that way but then you have a character like iris who's kind of like the juxtaposition of that where like you were saying there were some people that are not as nice as 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 others and it was a very nice you know like addition to this to to kind of show that that there is beauty there but at the same time there is there is somewhat of a danger yeah it's important to me to show kind of the good and bad in all places because i think that there is it's like like middlesbrough is kind of it has a bad rep but not everybody there is awful in fact the majority of people are great and but there are there are bad eggs like there are bad there there are bad you know bad people in all walks of life um and i think it's just good to be in a story like this especially it's good to be reflective of real life and i try to i try to capture that as much as possible and have this kind of you know everybody is levels of good and bad it's not star wars <laughs> you know? yeah exactly yeah absolutely 
Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm really fascinated by Iris as a character. I, I feel like I shallowly latched onto her because of the cool undercut. Um, yeah. Why did, you decide, <laughs> yeah. Why, why did you decide to make her kind of, I, I don't think this book really has a villain, but why did you kind of decide to make her kind of like the antagonist? Um, well, I was worried, when I was writing Billy, I was a little bit worried that it was going to be romanticizing kind of this idea of, oh, I'm going to be in poverty and live on the streets and be an artist. Like I, I was really scared that it was going to come across like I was trying to glamorize that. And so I needed, so uh, Iris was definitely kind of the, the lesson to Billy that not everybody is to be trusted. She was really stupid for doing what she did. And, um, you know, it kind of, Billy is very naive like as a cat she's very naive she's very oblivious she's borderline selfish I would say um she's very focused on her own life and what she wants um she does it's not malicious but she just doesn't really have the brain capacity to to think of other people a lot of the time I mean she learns that throughout the story but but at the start she's definitely very oblivious to people and their actions in the outside world so Iris was a you know a lesson to her so uh, another person or um, someone that, that uh, Billy meets um, on a journey is, uh, is Freddy, the dog. And yes. <laughs> I was wondering if you have a, a Freddy in your life. I have a wonderful Labrador named Molly, who is uh, very not like Freddy. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, <laughs> but um, no, I, I love dogs. And I think that there should be at least one dog in every comic. So... <laughs> Absolutely, and yes. and you know, like the kind of the the levity and the and the and almost like comedy relief that Freddie yeah. provides, and it's, it's it's wonderful. Yeah, that was important to me. Like, especially like I love, I love stories that are, I guess have a serious, you know, seriousness to them, but then also can you know have comedy comedic moments. I don't like dark, gritty stories that don't have any moments of relief. Mm -hmm. yeah there's some there's some funny shit for sure in uh in uh in billy's in pinning blindness and billy scott i really i really enjoyed the the uh, camaraderie between her and her flatmates that she doesn't talk to for weeks and weeks and weeks um yeah so so and and that kind of goes back so at the beginning of the book like you don't see billy for i don't know like five or six pages what, what kind of was behind your decision to start on the flatmates and then slowly introduce our our heroine um Basically, I thought that that was the best way to show that she is existing in this world and she is kind of the main character, but she is very distant and like introducing Billy without introducing her was just a, basically a way of saying, you know, showing her introvertedness and showing what kind of a character she is without even showing her. Um, and it's funny that scene, my, my, <laughs> I don't think um, Ricky will mind me saying this, but my editor for it was almost against that scene, but I was like, no, <laughs> we keep this in. Because <laughs> I think it, I, I, I do like, uh, he was saying that, you know, oh, if it was like a Spider-Man comic, you'd have the first page would be Billy being like, oh, I'm going blind. And then this is how, and then you'd do flashbacks and stuff. And I was like, well, it's not that kind of story. <laughs> um, and yeah, that scene was, that scene was important for me. And it was important to, to keep that in because I think it really did, show what i was what i was trying with what, what i was trying to do with billy definitely yeah. establishes billy at, um you know as the kind of the the shut-in artist you know and that the people that 
that that she's lived with that don't even know that she's really there but then also shows how likable she is because the second that she does come down you know everyone is is accepting and and is very happy to have her there yeah she really had got it in her head that you know nobody would like her and they'd all think that she was this weird <laughs> weird artist yeah it's very easy to think that <laughs> yeah um now for for um for billy going blind um you had um given a time period of two weeks and i feel like that's a very specific time period was there anything behind that well that tends to be the when you have like retina tearing and stuff um i'm not, I'm not gonna pretend like i'm a doctor and i know it all but there there is a kind of time frame of it it can happen very fast but two weeks is kind of like the longest time that it can happen to you know disappear completely and so i thought setting a time like as as a reader of books i like it when i know how long a character has for something it just makes it feel more grounded and like i feel like i, I felt it made it more stressful for her to know how long she had i i don't know like i feel like if i just left it kind of she didn't have a time frame it would be less tense. I don't know. That's why I, I put it in there. Yeah, I really like the uh, the boxes in the uh, in the sketch pages, like the boxes that you did, and it really remind. It gave me like deadline flashbacks and stuff. So that would definitely raise up the tension. And mm-hmm. also, also about those sketch, I, I like those sketch pages a lot. I feel like they broke broke the story really well. Um, was did you did you do a different art style for them, or was it kind of just kind of more connected to your sequential pages? Um, well, they were originally not in the original draft. I added those very near the end because it felt like there was some information missing. Like me and Ricky were talking about how, like, how did Billy choose these characters to to draw? And so we thought that the sketchbook pages would kind of show Billy's thoughts a little bit more and what she thought of them and why she chose them and um. But the art on those pages was definitely more like how how I draw usually. It's the, the funny thing is that with Billy is that 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 art style I completely created just for Billy. Like I don't plan on drawing like that ever again. Um, it just seemed my usual art wouldn't really fit the kind of story it was. I, I like I don't know. I don't know why I did it. I just did. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the um, the sketchbook pages are more my how I draw, and I did it like I it was all freehand. So I was like trying to you know get into her brain like I didn't plan the sketchbook pages there was no planning went into them I just put a piece of paper down and I was like all right what's she gonna draw and just just went for it so they are my favorite pages too because they're very um there was no planning <laughs> yeah and and you know like and then like the the day from hell it's very much just a few you know uh, a few pencil marks here and there and and the stains and it, it, it you know in itself those those pages tell so much of the story so it's a great addition yeah i'm a big fan of um kind of more subtle narrative and putting things in backgrounds and hints at stuff rather than explicitly saying it like there's definitely points in the book where i do kind of regret being obvious like there are definitely points where i think i could have been been less obvious because i really do enjoy that as a reader but yeah, those some of those moments are my are my favorite. And then when uh, with Rachel and everyone else has all these reasons, and and the and the writing of like why using this, and then all all Rachel's uh, sketch page is just her. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so it's like, it's like obvious, like this, of course I'm going to make a, you know, use Rachel and there's no reason for it except that it's Rachel. It's pretty cool. I also, one of my, one of the favorite things that I did that I feel like people won't notice is on the sketchbook page before Rachel's. So I think that's, that's, well, not the, yeah, on Nate's sketchbook page, there's a drawing of Rachel that Billy has scribbled out. Um, yes. I don't know if anybody caught that, but I was. I Ooh, was I'm gonna have to go back that. and see that. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, in the very bottom. There. See, it is. Like she was, she was itching to draw her, but she just didn't quite want to. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Now, um, just a, a, another really quick comment. Um, I loved the 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 passage, the showing passage of time through Rachel's hairstyles. Yeah, <laughs> that's that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, no, that was very useful. <laughs> but definitely, because it is just two weeks. But however, you know, a lot changes during two weeks. Yeah, because there was, yeah, there was a lot of points where um, sometimes it was because a lot of the middle section of the book was essentially just a big montage, which was not the original plan. But when I was writing it, and when I was talking to my editor about it, we changed the entire structure of the story um so ended up with one big montage scene in the end and like in the middle it's it's a long story but um a lot of the scenes kind of because they all take place in the same area i was like i need to show that this is a different day <laughs> so it's like yes rachel's hair the perfect the perfect um it's resolve. very cool yeah. also the the use of posters in uh rachel's flashback um, mm. Were those were those personal choices or <laughs> Ninja Man? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I decided when I was drawing Rachel, I decided that she would probably be that really like weeby kid that would like Naruto run and stuff, um, and like really into emo music. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. I love that. I'm a big MCR fan, so I love yeah. that Black Rainbow. That definitely endeared me to her a little bit. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, and, and definitely set her into you know she's you know. She's a she's you know a mid late nineties kid like set her in this kind of generation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So so you you this book got published at Avery Hill. Um, what why why uh, why was uh, Avery Hill like the best home for your uh, for impending blindness to Billy Scott? I'm just curious. Um, they were the only one that took it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, I mean, I love Avery Hill. I love. Uh, like I first learned of Avery Hill through Tilly Walden, who I am extremely inspired from. So Avery Hill was always a place where I, I, you know, I wanted to do a book. But of all the places that I did submit, Billy, it, it was the only one that picked it up. So I'm not lying. But, <laughs> but <laughs> what, what did what did your editor and what did the you know the the team over there kind of bring to this story? I'm just curious. Um, well, a lot. Um my initial the the first draft of billy is quite different to what it ended up as um most there was one scene that got completely switched out um but i mean all the other scenes they are still there but they just got completely switched around my editor was basically like i like this story it works but i think it would be so much cooler if you showed things in a different order and things happened in a different order and i kind of i was like what like i was very confused at first i was like mm, i don't know about this but then um he he really convinced me and it it was so much better after that so you know gold gold star <laughs> Okay. Yeah, editor, editors are a good editor in comics. It's just, I mean, I, I saw you got that Shelly Bond um, blurb on the back, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Editors <laughs> are like 
so underrated. Yeah, for sure. So there was a mention of video games earlier and uh, and Pokemon. I'm wondering uh, what what type of video games are are you a fan of, and what's your all time favorite if you have one? Oh boy, um, I am a fan of lots of games. I've been playing games since I was very young. My dad got me into gaming at a very young age, probably too young. He got me playing Mafia when I was like seven. <laughs> um, it's a fun it was, one. Yeah. Um, but video games really did create my my love of storytelling. Like, I love comics, but video games were were my first love, and um, I I think I learned a lot about you know narrative and storytelling from them. Um, favorite game ever? I, I, the game I played the most is Overwatch, and I'm still playing Overwatch. I've been playing it for four years. <laughs> no, me too, um, actually. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I can't. I'm addicted. It's terrible. I'm absolutely addicted. Who's your um, main? Uh, Winston. I'm currently wearing a Winston nice. hoodie. Nice. <laughs> I, I, I'm a tank main as well. I'm actually a Roadhog main. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm a main tank. Winston and Ryan. But nice. yeah, I love. Nice. I mean, I love Overwatch. Um, I got hooked in by the art style, and then the the, the gameplay itself really sold it for me. Um, but I mean, I primarily I play story games. Like at the moment, I've been playing uh, the Mafia remake, mm-hmm. which has been which has been brilliant. I'm just, you know, and I, I'm a massive Bioware fan. I love, love Dragon Age and Mass Effect and all that kind of Witcher and all that kind of stuff. Very awesome. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. yeah, we had to, we had to do one, one, little, one little fan, one fan question at the end. So, um, yeah. So do you have any other, I know, I know Billy's out right now. It's by the time we drop this episode, it's going to be out in the U.S., out in the U.K., mm-hmm. out at comic book stores, bookstores, wherever, wherever you want to pick it up. Do you have any other, um, kind of upcoming projects uh, that you want to plug? Um, I'm, I'm not allowed to talk about anything I'm working on. It's so annoying. I'm doing, working on three different projects at the moment and none of them have been announced. <laughs> so that's the really boring answer, but keep an eye out on my Twitter, I guess. <laughs> awesome. And, and, and speaking of uh, Twitter, where can our uh, listeners find you on social media? Any, any social media you want to plug? At Zoe Thurgood on everywhere. Cool. Very nice. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Um, we just wrapped up our interview with Zoe Thorogood. So great. Incredible. Very interesting. Yeah. Pinning blindness of Billy Scott. And unfortunately, Darcy wasn't able to make it because. Tragic. Because <laughs> work. Yeah. Really, because work. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, we're going to move on to our looking forwards. So, Brian, what are you looking forward to in the upcoming weeks from Indie Comics? Uh, I have on my list, uh, We Live, number one, uh, Aftershock Comics, um, written by Roy Miranda and Inaki Miranda, and arts and art is also done by Inaki Miranda. Uh, it is a post-apocalyptic uh, book. Um, I can just give you the quick uh, synopsis here that's uh, from, from previews. Is the, the year is 2084 and the world has changed, wrecked by calamities and crawling with monsters. The last remaining humans face a dangerous existence. So it just sounds like a lot of fun. It's about these two uh, siblings and finding their place in basically the last days of humanity. And, uh, and also uh, what kind of really made me excited to uh, check this out was um, that there's actually going to be an official soundtrack to this comic so the blending of music and comics is always a lot of fun uh, i think there's only one song out so far uh but still you know it's uh it's pretty cool when when that stuff like this happens 
So are the creators doing the music or is it someone else? Is it? No, it's a, it's a different, it's an actual, um, it's like a, a well-known artist. I'm trying to remember his name. I guess I should have had this ready. <laughs> ready. No, it's, but, it's, it's cool. Well, you, well, you look it up. This reminds yeah. me a lot of um, when uh, Young Animal launched and Gerard Way just dropped a Cave Carson song. That was like really, really good. Mm-hmm. Just like, uh, like, come on. But for sure. And then there's Z2 Comics, which is pretty much, I think they're only making comics about art, musical artists now, which is totally cool. Um, like comics about original musical artists or comics well, they're about doing like comics. They're doing music. like comics based on um, albums and also, but they're also doing kind of memory stuff too, but they're getting like, uh-huh. they're getting really good. Like they got Noah Van Skyver. I'm not a, I'm not a Grateful Dead fan, but they got Noah mm-hmm. Van Skyver to do a Grateful Dead comic. Um, and they're doing one with gorillas with Jamie Hewlett coming back to comics. That's like cute. I know it's connected uh-huh. to gorillas. Um, they did one about uh, Sergio Simpson that I think Jason Aaron's writing, and they did one. Oh, we had we had one of the we had the artist on the upcoming Poppy comic is Zoe Thorogood on our show. So that's another one. Um, but yeah, they found this like niche. <laughs> was so cheesy. Um, they found this cheesy. Yes, it is. Found this this niche of like music comics. And, so, so, so this, works. the song is called "I Will Follow You," and it is done by um, El Hombre Viento. Okay, and uh, it's if you look if you look that up uh, on YouTube, there's a there's a lyric video uh, to oh, the song. I love it. So it's it's pretty cool, you know, and it it seems, you know, like it's yeah, like we we're just saying, you know, it's always kind of fun when when two media's kind of yeah, I think. I know Dynamite's evil, but I remember um, a couple years ago, my, my local comic book store, the Singer Lights, was doing a was doing a signing for a comic yes. that she was doing for Dynamite. So yeah, it's it's cool. I like those little crossovers. Oh yeah, Grimes did a variant cover for Wickdiv. <laughs> I, I I know it's um, it's kind of cliche now, but I love it when the um, when the the writer or the artist puts a, a soundtrack at the end in the back matter of a so comic. Who, who, you know? first, so, who did that for? Does you guys know who did that for? I know I Jeff Lemire did it a few times, and but and I know that he wasn't he, the like monogram because I know. Yeah, it might have okay. been Gillen and McKelvey. I think it's someone did it before them, but. Let's let's do that. Let's hey, if you guys know who put the first playlist at the back of a comic, let us know, and we yeah. will talk about you in the next episode. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right, that sounds like a great book, Darcy. What are you looking forward to in upcoming weeks? Um, next week, uh, Stillwater number two is coming out by Chip Zdarsky, Ramon Perez, and Mike Spicer. Um, continuing my very obvious love of horror comics uh order number one came out i don't know last month i don't remember who knows time uh but it's basically a this giant kind of jackass of a character named daniel gets laid off of work not laid off he gets fired because he pushes somebody for being a jackass but he's also kind of a jackass and he and his friend go out drinking and they get kicked out of club because they're puking outside of the club and then they go home and they're kind of these two pathetic characters, right? They're not great people, 
But then the next morning he gets this letter from his great, great aunt that he's inherited all this money. And they're like, oh, well, let's go get this inheritance. And, but it's in this small town and they're like, well, this is probably a haunted house where we're going to go get killed at, but I don't have a job anymore. And well, let's go do this anyway. So they end up at this small town in the middle of nowhere and they see this child die basically. And they take him to a hospital and suddenly the child's not dead. (laughs) And so they're in this town of like, probable immortals who hate them good dog bark neighbors it's not mine i don't have dogs i think i think it really yeah so as your point about the added added to the thing yeah yeah no it's it's um the first issue was crazy and i just you know second issue there there was a kind of twist at the end of the first issue we're going into the second issue i'm not exactly sure what's like it could have been a one issue thing and i would have been like cool one shot and second issue i'm like what's the story going to be i don't know <laughs> so i'm, I'm kind of excited darsky <laughs> like he's a man like he, he just he fills his I'm mostly thinking of stuff with Marvel, because um, that's mostly yeah. That's he, he, yeah. That's that's like, mostly what I've read from from right, Jim, which so is I, I, done, I, I mean, he, yeah. He drew. I mean, he drew sex criminals. That's how he broke into the scene, mm-hmm. uh, comic scene. Um, but then, but like he his his books are just so jam packed. It's like reading an old. It's like reading something from like the '80s, like the mm-hmm. how how jam packed how how dense his plots are. But just with his you know kind of smooth modern style storytelling like fun dialogue and then just mm. having creating good chemistry of artists i know he's worked at he worked at perez on some issues of marvel two and one very underrated series so it's it's nice to see them do do something creator on and yeah this is this is a series i need to check out and especially you know if it's dark it's, keeping up with a monthly comic like that gotta be a, that that has to be on the pull list like, it was you know it's horror so i was like horror and i like chip Zdarsky, so i was like i'll check it out and the art looked really good i you know i like Ramon perez just fine i don't you know it's not somebody i'm gonna go to not because there's anything wrong but it's just i don't know names and it's not the sort of thing i know generally but it's horror so and i was like what the hell this what's the story after this what's the story after this this is like this is the thing this happened what's this so now i'm 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 really interested what happens in issue two because i have no idea where we're going from here he's yeah i mean he's yeah he's had a few he had a uh, what was it shoot i can't remember the title he did i know he did white trees of chris anko which is a good fantasy Mm -hmm. title Mm -hmm. and then captara he did captara like years ago i didn't read that which was like a like a he-man parody but no, but it's interesting oh. to see him. It was like kind of a, a, a queer He-Man parody with Kagan McLeod, who's like a really good I need to artist. Read that. But it just, I just dropped off my radar. I think it had one trade. But he's he's so talented. He's so good at different genres, different tones. Um, yeah. yeah, I know. Like at first, you, you just thought he was like the funny, the funny duck guy or the the the, sec- the bremper. But now he's just like doing all mm-hmm. kinds of books, and it's he's very talented. And, He's he's uh, one of the rare jack of all trades, master of all type. Yeah, people. and he can fucking draw like so yeah. well too. It's like, it's crazy. Like, it's insane. 
everyone for yeah i mean like not everyone forgets but he like came on the scene as an artist on sex criminals and then mm-hmm. and then he did that one issue of spectacular spider-man that everyone talked about that was like flawless yeah and yeah now he's doing a horror series it's so cool and the the i i agree with darcy the first issue was definitely could have been self-contained and it was a lot of fun and and i'm trade waiting this one uh just because my docket's kind of full right now but i'm definitely excited to see what happens next cool. as well nice all right <laughs> my looking forward to is so typical but i don't give a shit it is the true lives of the fabulous killjoys national anthem number one from dark horse comics by gerard way sean simon leonardo romero and jordi belair and basically from what i can tell about this book um so if you don't know the um Danger Days, The True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys was the final uh, My Chemical Romance studio album. And they also um, did a prequel comic to it. Gerard Way and Sean Simon did a prequel comic of it with the incredible uh, Becky Cloonan. And what this comic, from what I can tell in the press releases, National Anthem. National Anthem is kind of like an ultimate universe version of it. It's like ideas like f- about like, you know, post-apocalyptic freedom fighters, killjoys, but it's kind of reskinned. And it's a little more of a 2020 vibe. So, and just the, just the, the visuals in the previews for this comic have been incredible. Leonardo Romero is a really good artist. He, um, what most folks know him probably from is the, uh, the Hawkeye series. He did the Kate, Kate Bishop Hawkeye series he did with Kelly Thompson. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool um, to see him kind of let loose in this wild, this wild universe. Also Ramones records are somehow involved in this universe too. So, um, so if you're a punk rock fan, maybe you want to check this out. Um, and then we got Jordi Belair on colors, and they're just perfect, just combination. And yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see um, kind of this. It's kind of interesting seeing, I did, I don't, like, is it a reboot? Is it a reimagining? Do I know? But, but I feel like the Killjoys album gets a little bit too much, gets too much shit from, from fans, I guess. Cause it's, it's really cool. It's a really well-realized universe through the music videos in the comics. And also Grant Morrison shows up as the bad guy. I mean, come on, can you get more like more cooler than that? Like you're watching MTV late at night and Grant Morrison shows up chasing guys and ray guns and stuff. Like, <laughs> Oh man. But uh, I'm, I'm really excited. And it, like, and especially since I couldn't, you know, I couldn't see my romance in person. I guess I can get the comic and, <laughs> I, I haven't read it, but that reminded me of of David Bowie being in the Venture Brothers as the main bad guy. You know, it's kind of uh, a yeah. yeah. No, yeah. no, it's cool. I, I hope I, he's really. I forget what the. I should know who the bad guy is. People are gonna be like, "You're such a fake fan." <laughs> but I hope there's like a version of him in the um, book. And again, yeah, think about the comics. Like they add so much flavor to this world. Because um, yeah, it was like a full blown concept album, just like Black Parade. And people shit on it because they change their sound up a little bit because fake ass music fans want everyone to make the same album over and over again. Yeah, artists aren't allowed to grow. Right, <laughs> right, right. Well, like, it's like it's like they say like, oh, they, they change too much. But then they 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 talk about like a band like ACDC who makes the same mm-hmm. album every time. They, yeah. they, they talk shit about them. So I'm like, what? Or they applaud like the Beatles and they, they changed all the time. And it's like, this is exactly what someone on modern band is doing you know it's the right. same thing i don't know it's it's turned into a, a music criticism show well i mean 
but it's we both had music related looking forwards. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, no, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we mentioned, yeah. And Gerard Way's done comic. Yeah. Oh, and I wanted to mention one thing. Gerard Way, like his probably most underrated talent is picking artists for books. Like, dude, he, I mean, I want to go back to Young Animal again. Nick Darrington. Like, <laughs> did you guys know who Nick Darrington was before Doom Patrol? No, but he's amazing. Yeah. I, he'd done, apparently he'd done books, but like Doom Patrol made him into an all-star. And then he, he did Batman. And so yeah, he's, he's, he's really good at casting his books. So I'm excited. All right, cool. All right, so that wraps up this episode. Um, Brian, where can folks find you on social media? Uh, people can find me on Instagram and they can see my actual, my Leonardo uh, Romero Kate Bishop t-shirt I have on Instagram at uh, Bryjan um, underscore CB and also they can go to uh, Bryjan2814 on Twitter which I'm there randomly Alright and Darcy where can folks find you? Uh, I am on Twitter at books underscore serial and I have a website at books and serial.wordpress.com. This week I'm going to be covering the 1975 very short-lived Fantastic Four radio serial featuring narration by Stanley. Nice. That sounds really dope. I did not know that existed. It's kind of awful because they did, uh, they thought they would tackle digital sound, which was like early CGI. It was kind of awful back then, (laughs) but you know, they were making an attempt. Wow. I know know what I'm Googling after we stop. That sounds awesome. It's it's on YouTube. And you can find me at uh, Midnighter uh, BAE, Midnighter Bay, Midnighter BAE on Twitter. Um, and my writing and graphic policy. Um, I recently reviewed this really cool um, punk rock Riot Girl graphic novel called My Riot. Uh, it's coming out from Oni Press. And then I'm also, of course, I'm reviewing the fucking Killjoys comic this week. So see my take on it and uh, on that this week. Yeah. yeah. All right. And that oh, wraps up. Oh. Also, oh, really quick, sorry. Uh, our email address. Uh, comics deserve better at gmail.com and the website is updated um, and has all our episodes on it and everything and and a place to suggest uh, any uh, um, future topics that you would like us to to check out and um, that is uh, comics deserve better dot wordpress.com kudos to brian for doing that i haven't even touched the website so this is all brian (laughs) It's something I should have done a long time ago. So, <laughs> a round of applause. And also, you can, uh, we're pretty active on Twitter too. We're at uh, CDB Pod on Twitter. So, hit us up, give us a follow, give us a like. And as always, you can follow on Comics Are Better and subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, all your podcatchers, Google Podcasts. I don't, I don't even know all these podcast services that y'all are using, but we're on all of them. We're there. And if we're not on them, let us know and we'll try to get on them. So just lay back, uh, die with your gun in your hand. Sorry, I'm not going to quote Killjoys. Like oh. and su- subscribe, bro. <laughs> just, there's, there's, this, October is a great month for indie comics. So um, grab, a, grab an old favorite, grab a new favorite. Just enjoy. 